got the second highest grade in the seventh grade science fair. It was the first time I ever achieved anything outside of success in school besides gym class. And it was because I got to build something with my own two hands. And I, and I was like, wow, I'm actually good at something besides sports. And it was because I was passionate about it. Well, I'm passionate about turtles. I'm passionate about nature. I'm passionate about people and success. And when I talk to kids and I say, just because you get good, great. If you get good grades and you're a good student, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't, there is alternative perceptions and paths that you can take. From the studio of Rule 29, this is Design Of. I'm Wills Francis. And I'm Justin Aarons. So, Wills, we're here. We're looking out the window. What, tell me what the scene you're seeing right now. So I'm seeing a feeding frenzy of, of koi goldfish and a bunch of ducks. And our guest is throwing, what is he throwing? Well, like food oh, for morsels. the ducks and the, yeah, yeah. So we are standing second floor overlooking the largest man-made pond in, the state, the nation, uh, the world perhaps? What? Well, <laughs> well, I think there's probably bigger ponds, but we're actually standing up in his, it's almost like a sort of treehouse cave. cave office overlooking the pond. And uh, right now um, I'm looking at uh, a couple waterfalls, um, tons of koi and duck kind of doing their thing. Over there where there's like a See that black spot yeah. in there? That's a cave you can swim to. Um, so it's, it's quite an extraordinary, extraordinary office in space. And we'll see if we can capture his attention for a few minutes as he comes up here. As he's social mediaing right now. Didn't record. <laughs> All right, we're, we're live. You ready? Yeah, dude. And we're here today with none other than... Greg Whitstock, uh, better known as the Pond Guy, uh, founder and CEO of Aquascape. And if you're wondering how someone gets a title like the Pond Guy... Well, it represents a lot. Uh, it came from my customers who would uh, mostly lovingly refer to me as that Pond Guy. <laughs> so I would uh, show up at someone's house and I would hear the wife yelled to the husband or the kids yelled to the parents, hey, the pond guy's here. So I was the pond guy by the very nature of my work, which is building decorative water features that I began as a hobbyist in 1982 as a 12-year-old kid. And as a career, or as a summer job, I should say, as a junior in college. Uh, and uh, together, that's how I became the pond guy. Hobbyist turned professional. I don't think I'd heard that story. So it just kind of naturally came out of that moment. You know, what was interesting was the second date I ever had with Carla, my my wife, uh, she, I, w I told her, hey, I'm this, this is what I do. People call me the pond guy. She's like, what? What's a pond guy? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I got this appointment. And before I, and she, you know, before I pick you up for dinner, she goes, well, I wouldn't mind going with you. I got off. So we, we went and rung the doorbell and kid answered the door and just like I said, mom, the pond guy's here. And she's like, you really are the pond guy. Yes, I really am the pond guy. When uh, I was a kid, I grew up outside of uh, Philadelphia in uh, uh, a very beautiful place. It was the New Jersey Pine Barrens. It was outside Cherry Hill, about 30 minutes outside Philly. So 
uh, 30 minutes east of Philadelphia. And <clears throat> I grew up on a lake and there was 1,300 people in the town of Medford Lakes that I grew up in and uh, there was 26 beaches. Wow. So it was, uh, and half the people lived in log cabin homes. It was in the Pine Barrens. And my, my Huckleberry Finn existence was catching turtles, fish, and frogs every day and playing sports. I hadn't discovered girls yet. Uh, and it, <laughs> it was a pretty idyllic childhood. And then one day my dad came home and got a, said he was, we were moving the family to Wheaton, the flat barren cornfields of Wheaton, Illinois with a corporate transfer. They, my parents tell me the first thing I said was, you expect me to give up the Sixers and the Eagles and the Phillies for the Bears and the Bulls and the Cubs? And the 85 Bears, I became a, I became a full, full-blooded Chicago fan. Yeah, I'm sure most but, of them. But uh, my parents promised me I could bring 11 of my pet turtles with me. So I, I loaded up 11 of the pet turtles in the bottom drawer from the refrigerator, put some water in there, and they sloshed 16 hours across country. And the second day I was living in wheat, and I went in the backyard and started digging my very first pond. I lived on a lake. I didn't need a pond. I had buckets right. and so, tanks uh, and stuff. Let, let, let me stop here yeah. really quick. So you had turtles in the refrigerator? Uh, the bottom drawer of the refrigerator, I put it in the back of the station wagon, put some okay. water in it, and they okay. sloshed across, uh, oh, okay. across uh, you know, halfway across the country. Now, what did your dad do then? My dad was an engineer. So okay. he worked for a okay. union carbide corporation. So he got a corporate transfer. My mom was a school teacher. And okay. And uh, they, uh, my dad's pat hobby too was aquariums like myself, and so he helped me build that first pond. We used concrete, that concrete uh, cracked. I spent two years trying to rebuild it. My pond turned green because I didn't have the right filters. All the filters were made for kind of hobbyist type of stuff. We're not a, a big pond like I had built. Um, and then uh, um, my prize turtles even migrated away. And that was the beginning of my odyssey of water features because every year, literally every season summer i'd rip it out and rebuild it wow. and after give me, give me some idea of scale like is your first pond my right? first pond was 11 foot by 16 foot it was two feet deep and it's it, a good pond. yeah you know it was pretty big uh but i had a lot of turtles and i had you know i had a strong back and and actually the the strong back is kind of part of the story so after seven years of ripping it out and rebuilding it Neighbors, friends, relatives would come over and go, this is beautiful. And then one day I was literally working in my pond in the backyard like I did for every summer. And he delivered a package to the backyard, the UPS guy. And he goes, this is beautiful. I'd love to own one of these. And I thought, man, there's got to be a business here. So I remember telling my mom and my dad I wanted to start a business building ponds. And all I needed was a strong back, which I already had, a wheelbarrow and a shovel. And that Christmas I got a wheelbarrow and a shovel beneath the Christmas tree. And How I, cool uh, is that? The month I turned 21, I started Aquascape to design and build backyard water features, the same thing that I had done for myself and my turtles. Wow. So your parents were behind you the whole way? Yes. My dad was an engineer, but he was a hobbyist as well with aquariums and stuff. My mom was a very uh, astute businesswoman. She had her own business by this time. Uh, she was a corporate consultant. And so uh, they were very supportive of me. And it was, I lived at home, worked out of the garage, and literally drove a free trailer that I got from the side of the road and behind the family's Buick LeSabre. <laughs> built, built five ponds, had, had my staff consisted of a couple guys I played football with in high school that I would hire for day labor. I wouldn't, they weren't on my payroll. And what time. year is this about? This is 1991. Okay. So I was 21, just turned 21. And I built five ponds my first season and then 12 my second. And uh, so on August 2nd of 1992, though, my second season, I had done, you know, 17 total ponds. And I had sent the previous year uh, a letter with some pictures and a business card to the Chicago Tribune, to the gardening editor. 
Never heard anything from the gardening editor, but I did hear from a freelance writer who proposed a story for the tempo section. Oh yeah, I love the tempo section. Yes, and it went out uh, in 700, Jan Golden Pond, young landscape artist, Greg Whitstock, 22 at the time, builds backyard habitats for fish and plants. And it was a front page spread, went out to 700,000 people, and my phone literally blew up. Uh, it was wow. the day my life really changed, it was August 2nd, 1992, because I had hundreds of people from that one article wanting me to come and give them a bid in their backyard. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll never forget the very first, that was August 2nd, 1992, was a Sunday, and then on the following Saturday, I had eight design consultations. Wow. Guess how many water features I ended up selling? Eight. So at the end of the day, I came home, my mom, my dad, and my sister were sitting at the kitchen table. I reached into my back pocket and pulled out $36,000 in deposit checks. Wow. So my fun little summertime gig all of a sudden became my job. I was taking six months off to build ponds, six months on to go to go to school. My now, dad. Now yep. Really quick, let me just ask this question. So, the first year and the second year, were you profitable, or is this just kind of like college money? Yeah, or? no, I was highly profitable because the the, the first year I did five water features of twenty one thousand bucks in sales, and I had basically no overhead. I had day laborers. I worked out of my parents' house and I had a free trailer. Right. So I uh, I, I I cleared about and a, a sweet Buick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Buick with Sabre. I cleared about 11,000 bucks, bought a Nissan hard body pickup truck, and uh, came back the next year, was also profitable, uh, because I didn't have a lot of overhead worked out of the home. And then yeah. that's when things really took off, and that's when I rented my first building, and I hired my first full-time foreman, a guy that yeah. I went to high school with. Now let's talk about this, like you didn't have you didn't have business experience. I mean, you had entrepreneurial experience by doing this, but, but um, how did that feel? Because you, you more than doubled, tripled Right, your and I know you said your mom had some some business background. Like, how did you how did you manage all of that? How did you energy? <laughs> and uh, you know, the bottom line here is that I made as many mistakes as I I I made good choices, but I had so much growth and I had so much opportunities that you know I didn't know what I was doing, but I faked it till I made it, and I yeah. knew how to build ponds. I didn't know how to run a business. <laughs> Didn't know how to deal with employees, didn't know how to deal with taxes and all that other stuff, but uh, I hired people. So I, I got an outside accountant that helped me with the books. I went to the county and legitimized my business yeah. by incorporating. Um, so you like backfilled your weaknesses. I just figured yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah, like I didn't come in with, I didn't write a business plan, you know, none of that stuff. <laughs> I, at least in the beginning, I just did it and figured it out as I went along. So 92, things go crazy. So how many ponds did you do that, that season? Well, Remember that I told you that Saturday I, that I brought 36, 000, eight, yeah. eight jobs sold in one day. That was it. I was set for the season. So I had literally the 12 jobs that I had built up until August 2nd. Then I sold eight jobs, you know, the week after August 2nd. And I was booked through the rest of the season. So my dad came in and helped me. He was doing consulting work in engineering. He came in and helped manage the my first full-time foreman and a couple of laborers that I had. Uh, that I had. And that, uh, that was basically then I, would, I came home um, the following uh, April when semester got our quarters got out at Ohio State so I would spend six months going to school six months not going to school running the business Wow! and and that's just for the point of being proper here the Ohio State University the Ohio State University I loved everything about college except the classes Greg certainly does not fit the bill of a fortune 500 CEO he was not an enthusiastic student and found school to be more of a hindrance to his budding career you know, it's interesting because I should not have graduated college because A, I wasn't a student, and B, I had a thriving business that needed all my attention. But I started it, and I was going to finish it. So uh, the, it took me six years to graduate. 
Uh, I paid for the last two years. I was making money. My parents agreed to pay for the first four. So I graduated. It took me six years, and I remember I wasn't going to go back to my graduation. You know, you know, whatever. I'm already, sure. you know, back in school. I finished my last class at College of DuPage. Yeah. Remedial math. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up. Uh, my mom's like, "You have to do it." And of course, she was right. And so right. I flew back, and I, and I graduated, and and walked through, did the ceremony. And I remember looking at the. Uh, I remember as soon as they handed me the, I walked across the stage, and I looked in because I, I thought for sure there was a class that I missed, or parking, <laughs> or parking tickets that I owed, or something. Yeah, yeah. But I managed to graduate with a 2.0 GPA, and I said, "Darn! I studied 0.1 percent too hard." Greg and his father shared a complicated relationship for most of his life, and that relationship was often tested on matters of managing a pond building business. Well, he was at first an employee, but then we became partners. Um, uh, really, I wouldn't even say an employee. He was my dad yeah. that helped me out, and uh, really the reality was that he had taken an early retirement. He was just doing consulting work, and I was so busy with my thing that he just kind of segued full-time into helping me. Uh, which was an interesting dynamic because my dad is a uh, master's degree engineer and I'm a uh, uh, crazy wild entrepreneur. Yeah. So it was, uh, we were very different. Uh, I would say black, he would say white. Uh, <laughs> I was the gas pedal, he was the brake. The reality is a, a, a company needs both skill sets, mm -hmm. but I don't know if I had the maturity at uh, my age to understand that, and I don't know if my dad had the faith and trust in me at his age to, mm -hmm. to let go of the reins a little bit. So we worked together for three years, um, separated, um, uh, ended up, uh, he ended up becoming my very first competitor uh, in the marketplace because he wanted to do things a little different than I wanted to do things. Now let me ask you just, yeah. you know, and you don't have to answer this if you don't, but was it amicable? It feels like that would be tough. You yeah, know, was it strained or? Well, it was very strained. It was you know he wanted to do things his way. Yeah. I wanted to do things my way, um, and so he went off and 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 tried to do things his way, and I continued down the path that I was on. And the reality was that you know I, I spent nine years competing with my dad and basically not talking to my dad. I, mm -hmm. We had a strained relationship for nine years. In two thousand six, that healed. Um, I uh, I acquired the his business that he had had, had created. And he came on board in our team in the role that he should have been, which was an engineering role, you know, at the time. So uh, his skill set was different than my skill set. And like I said, uh, businesses need both skill sets, but uh, um, it, it, it took, you know, going apart to get back together again, I guess you should yeah. say. I'm glad that that happened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah things, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So uh, assuming since you acquired your dad's business that, that the company was doing well. Well, the company did very well. Um, we became an Inc. 500 fastest growing privately held company four years in a row. So our, our biggest five-year growth spurt was 2,221% five-year growth rate. Uh, built it up to $60 million in sales and 195 teammates. And then 2008 happened. Yeah. And 2009 and 2010. And I think God has a sense of humor because the... The, everything I touched turned to gold when I, for the first 16 years that I had my business, 17 year was 2007, that was flat, and then all of a sudden in 2008 I lost $12 million over the previous year doing exactly the same thing I did. So what changed? The world changed. Yeah. Home equity lines of credit went away, the economy went to, went to in the tanker, and we ended up uh, having to readjust our business, unfortunately, um, make some hard decisions, and, and, and but we survived, and what didn't and I 100% believe what didn't kill us made us stronger. And today, even though our sales are now coming back, 
Uh, we're still not at the peak that we were in 2007 when the economy was at its at its peak. So, but I think we're a much much better company because of what we went through and the team that I have. And the number one thing I learned through that is the people that work here, how important and valuable they are as assets. Well, I definitely want to talk about because when I think about you, Greg, I think about just the marketing machine that you are. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, let's just help our listeners understand. So, what is it that you provide? Now, like if you were to explain your business, sure. how, how, you know, what is, what is the category? What is it like? Well, I, uh, I created a market space which didn't exist when I started my business in 1991, which was professional water feature uh, product line. So the, the stuff that I used out of garbage cans and cattle troughs and engineering and MacGyvering up stuff in my own backyard, those became, I patented those and began in 1995 selling those to other contractors. And because I was a contractor myself, I could talk the talk of a contractor. Before 1995, no one had ever made a commercial skimmer for a pond or even a biofalls, which is a filter that filters the water and becomes a waterfall. And so my success or our success as a team came from us actually, and to this day, we're still the only full line aquatic manufacturer in the world that builds ponds full time. So. Your major clients at the time were uh, contractors, other people who would build backyard ponds or water features. So you would do that as well um, at Oxgate, but then you also had all of the equipment, all of the parts and pieces that they would use to build that. Yeah, so basically what happened was I, I sat down with a, a family friend who was, a, who was a, um, actually a partner at Arthur Anderson, not on the accounting side, that eventually became Accenture, which was yeah. the consulting side, and we went through the most valuable thing that Aquascape had, or I had at the time, and it was knowledge. We had a unique, a unique product and a, uh, and a specific knowledge on how to do something, and he said, you should franchise your idea. So I spent all my profits from uh, 1993 and 1994 and actually incorporated my business as a franchise with Francorp out of Indiana. Uh, had big documents and tried to go out and sell this concept to landscapers to have them buy a franchise where they would give us a royalty and we would give them we'd sell them the the products and then you know they would make money we would make money and i remember the i had four or five interested parties i narrowed it down to one we agreed that he would purchase the first franchise ironically in columbus ohio that's <laughs> where i was finishing up my degree and uh when we went to shake on it he he said great okay and i was going to sell it to him uh, at $25,000 which was half of the cost of a new franchise, we, were going to, we had a preliminary determined $50,000 per territory, and before I let go of his hand, he squeezed it a little harder and said, that does include your vehicle too, right? And I had a Ford F-150, probably a $15,000 truck. Yeah. So basically, what he was doing was he was negotiating at the last minute when it was kind of past the deal, yeah. trying to get the most, and I realized right then and there, instantaneously, <laughs> that this deal is not gonna happen, and in the next couple of days I came to grips with, landscape contractors don't have $50,000 sitting in their bank accounts ready to purchase business opportunities. Right. I went back to the same family friend who was a consultant, Arthur Anderson, and I said, I really screwed the pooch, this is just a big mistake, and uh, you know everything sucks in my life, yada, yada, yada. And he, <laughs> he looked at me and he said, well, you're gonna have a, he looked at me and said exactly what every person who uh, every person that is complaining does not want to hear, and he said, "This will be a, a great lesson for you." Yeah. And true to form, six months—six months later, uh, much to my chagrin from that original conversation, he proved right because I took that same concept of a franchise system, 
without uh, that's and made it a franchise system without a franchise fee. And that was really the genius of Aquascape because in April of 1995, I mailed out 26,000 catalogs to a rented list from Dun & Bradstreet to landscape contractors, architects, and garden centers. And uh, that year, I sold $424,000 of installations in Chicago wow. and $181,000 of mail order filters and pumps and pond kits to other landscapers across the nation. But the writing was on the wall because the next year, I sold $1.9 million and then four, and then seven, and then eventually we became an Inc. 500 company, supplying the knowledge and products and unique approach that we had for decorative water features to other people. So what almost was my bane and my end, which was the franchise uh, you know, concept of selling it became the, the silver lining because that was really where Aquascape took off, was teaching other people how to be successful running their pond business. And instead of trying to give it away or sell it exclusively, I gave it away for free and, and our business grew. Tell me about the space that we're in right now. Aqualand. Yeah. Well, Aqualand was my dream of a workplace utopia. Uh, I moved just in every two years, literally every two years I moved from 1991 until 2005. We because moved. growth was just going beyond expectations. Yeah, I would, I would I literally, I couldn't, I would rent it, but I always dreamed of a workplace utopia. And my idea of a workplace utopia was filled with ponds and playground so the whole third floor is dedicated to fun and fitness I believe those who sweat together stick together and I learned this playing football not in a classroom so it's got an indoor soccer arena it's basketball court a full weight room uh, racquetball court and a spa so it's got a hot tub sauna steam room and even a cold plunge which is 52 degrees and it's fun to see people get in there for the first time <laughs> Aqualand is a 256,000 square foot green building so it's a silver lead leaders in energy efficient design building uh, which means it's uh, more environmentally friendly we're, we're a green company obviously we're doing water features and the building here itself is got uh, it houses basically all of our US team it's our national international headquarters we have a office up in Canada that handles Canadian distribution and I've got about a dozen teammates up there uh, this is where we ship all of our products out to our distributors and our dealers and Basically, all the products come from, we're a virtual manufacturer, meaning that all of the products are our tooling. So they either come, if they're big and bulky, it's domestic. If, it, if it's small and electronic, it's international. It's usually in Asia. So uh, it comes in here, we assemble it, and we ship it out to our dealers all over um, the US. And the one, the office and warehouse in Canada handles Canadian distribution. And about 95% of our sales are North America and about 5% of our sales are international. There's a lot of opportunity internationally, but it's a, it's a challenge to, to break into new markets that are more established than your own. Uh, water features really got their start pretty much with Aquascape in, in the States, uh, you know, 26 years ago, so 26 year in business. In England, in Europe, it's been a far more established, but it's a paradigm shift. They, they don't do the same technology that we use over here. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenge to get break into that marketplace, but there's so obviously a lot of opportunity. We, we do things bigger here, yeah. and I would like to say better, but uh, that would be a, a very Trumpish term, so I won't use that. So, but I'm looking at this pond, so if I could go out right now and jump in and swim in it, right? Yeah, this is a swim pond. So it's a recreation pond is actually what we call them, and this is very much more practical than a swimming pool in 
cold weather climates like Chicago. So 365 days a year, you can enjoy looking at the rock work and uh, you know the landscaping for six months out of the year. A swimming pool you can only use for three months out of the year. So a recreation pond, you could fish it, you could swim it, you could just sit back and enjoy a glass of wine by it or a beer. Um, and this is what we actually uh, recommend people in Illinois and cold water, cold climates to get a rec pond versus a uh, swimming pool for the most for most people because swimming pools you can only use for a very brief time. Rec mm -hmm. ponds are nice 365 days a year. You can ice skate it in the winter. Yeah, that's true. So again, you know, uh, this place is amazing. And then I know um, a few years back you had a pretty major setback here. So uh, right when the economy was you know, probably at its lowest and ready to rebound 2011. On February February 14th, Valentine's Day 2011, uh, we had gotten a, uh, about 10 days earlier, Chicago had hit, been hit with one of our largest snowfalls ever, 24 inches, and then we had a 50 degree temperature swing, and the roof, our green roof that was also sloped, uh, ended up getting a water, a, an ice dam on it, and when all of that snow that landed on the roof melted, the water built up over our covered parking and it collapsed a uh, 700 foot span of our covered parking which also twisted the steel inside of our main building and uh, this building needed thank god it happened on a sunday this building needed to be evacuated and we basically were out of business for the next week our building was condemned we couldn't get to our servers we couldn't even communicate with our customers because we couldn't access phone lines uh, and it took me 11 months and 13 million dollars to rebuild it but once again, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I watched uh, the first week after it happened, five teammates left. They said they didn't sign up for this, but everybody else that stayed here really just doubled down and did not only their jobs, but also the jobs of relocating into three different buildings in three different cities. Yeah. Uh, it was 14 days before we made our first shipment out, um, and we were back up and running, and for 11 months we operated out of three different locations as this building got rebuilt. So. It's incredible. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an experience that I would never want to go through again, but it actually solidified and gelled my love for our team here because I really saw the people that stepped up to the plate. I could not do it alone. And I remember leaving right after Justin had happened. I had to go three days. I was a keynote speaker at a conference, and I remember one of my guys saying to me, he goes, don't worry, Panga, you go do what you got to do. We'll take care of things here. And they did. And they really literally rebuilt, the, rebuilt not only the building but also the business because we came back stronger than we were before yeah you know we had dinner you probably don't remember this right around then and I was I remember telling my wife I'm like gosh I hope Greg's gonna be okay and it was just like you know you're just stiff upper lip like it's gonna work out you know I'm sure you inside you're probably a oh, bit uh, anxious when, yeah. when, when I when I saw the building on the ground I collapsed and just you know literally to my knees and just sob I thought I thought our business was done uh -huh. and that's when my team picked me up and then we picked each other up. And I did my thing, they did their thing, and and, and we're stronger. Adversity can pull, a, pull a, uh, a company together or a company apart. It can pull a family together or a family apart, a church together, a team together, or apart. And this adversity pulled our team together and we're better because of it. I really admire Greg's commitment to creating a positive company culture. For as long as I've known him, he's been a student of understanding how teams can work better. And when you walk into the space, you can instantly feel that this is not a typical workplace environment. The first job of a CEO is to guide and guard the company culture. That's my belief. Uh, there's nothing more important than a strong culture. 
and this culture is me. It's fun, <laughs> it's ponds, it's sports, part of the fun. Uh, fun is one of our four company values, as is character. Uh, we don't ever want to have somebody that works here that we they jeopardize their character to work here. Uh, as is as team, uh, it's all about team for me. Uh, as is winning. So our four company culture is character, team, winning, and fun. In that order. Uh, we don't want anybody on our team that has to jeopardize our character to be on our team. Uh, we want to be able to win and we want to be able to have fun. And if something isn't fun but we're still winning, then obviously it needs to be done. You know, it's work uh, that needs to be accomplished. So every month we celebrate those values by the teammates electing or nominating their peers that represent those four company goals. Whatever somebody did that demonstrated high character or created fun around here for us or our customers. Uh, and then we give out the bobble thumbs, which is a thumbs up pond guy. And oh, this last, about two years ago, I guess, we added a new, new company value, which uh, is the Bonehead Award. And it's a self-nominated award, and it's a fat, cigarette-smoking, martini-holding pond guy uh, trophy. And it's whoever did the biggest goof up for the last month. And as much as we like to uh, point things out, the person has to point it out for themselves if they're going to do it. So whenever, when everybody wins a bonehead award, we all celebrate together. And because, you know, mistakes happen in business, and as long as we want to laugh about it and have fun, you know, that's kind of the key thing that's one of our goals. So we, I like it because those four core values are represented by the, are reinforced every single month in our teammate meetings where we share everything. Part of the culture is this is a big family and so we're going to tell you the wins and the misses and whether we're behind budget or below budget and what's going on with, with the company and anybody can ask anything because this is all about, you know, everybody knowing what's going on and every, every month is not a love fest because there's some, cha some challenging months that we have. Yeah. But we talk about it and we work through it and there's no secrets here. And our first goal as a business is to help our customers succeed at building, selling, and retailing water features. So our motive, our modus operandum, is to help our customers succeed in their businesses. And so we built this tribe, we call them, which is certified aquascape contractors, people that are committed to installing water features with our principles and our products. And it's a big, basically, uh, community of people that are there to support one another. So it's sad for me to think of people who are not certified aquascape contractors who are lone wolves in the marketplace. They, they might be good pond builders and they might be working in a particular area, but they don't really have the support mechanism that, that we have through the certified aquascape contractor network. So my main kind of passion is to help other people succeed. And if you help other people get what they want, you're gonna end up getting what you want. I was able to build the world's largest business of its kind because I put my customers first and figured out how to help them become successful. And when they succeed, you succeed. And so that's kind of the principle behind it. And what's cool is the people that are in the Certified Oxygen Contractor Network have taken that kind of mantra onto themselves. And you get the best way to learn something is to teach it. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody's on there talking about a situation that they're dealing with, somebody else will come on there and say, hey, here's how we dealt with that or here's how we looked at that and they're actually becoming better at what their game is because they're helping someone else. And so being a teacher, really, the rising tide lifts all ships. Mm -hmm. And so the people that are part of the network, literally their businesses grow together because they're all helping each other. Let's shift gears really quick. Talk to me about reality television. <laughs> you wanna bring up that swear word. Hey, how you doing, buddy? 
What is he doing? What is he doing? <laughs> He's talking to him. Look at him. Hey, if it wasn't for turtles, you might not even have a job today. Yeah, good point, good point. When I was 12 years old, I needed a place to house my pet turtles, and my mom and dad let me build a pond in the backyard. And that pond became my classroom, which today is why Aquascape is here. Yeah. So tell him how that, how that came apart, because you, you were a part of uh, was it a season or two seasons? We had one season of Pond Stars. They picked the name, not me. Not Pond Stars, Pond Stars on Nat Geo Wild. What would you have called it if you could, by the way? Uh, the Pond Guys. Pond Guys, okay. Uh, would have been maybe one of our first choices. Uh, someone said Koi Boys, but nah, it didn't kind of ring for us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the thing for me, Justin, about that was it was quite an honor to have a reality TV show based off of your passion and your business. But what I quickly realized was it wasn't based around my passion, my business. It was based on somebody else's agenda and their scripting of reality television. So I was handed a script. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Day. You mean reality television scripted? <laughs> well, all I can speak about for sure is that our show was scripted. And it was handed a script every day of how things would go down. And, and let's just say that the, the director had never built a pond before. And I had never been directed before, at least in school. And I was never really good at taking direction. So... <laughs> Uh, unless it was on a football field work with a man I respected. Yeah. So uh, we had a one season. We we it was a quarter million dollars per episode. We had we did twelve water features. Uh, I learned a lot. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I learned how the how Hollywood works and television works. And we went from a year of being filmed and and doing that to uh, to making our own show, Pond Squad, the Aquascape Pond Squad, that we flipped up on YouTube. And we did that for a season afterwards and. I can honestly say that it was a breath of fresh air to be working with our certified Oxygen Conjurer Network and doing episodes of the Pond Squad versus being directed on uh, someone else's Pond Stars. So, but, but did you enjoy it at all? Well, I enjoyed working with my guys. I enjoyed being in the field with them. And I enjoyed what I learned from it, which was, you know, that I don't want to basically be directed anymore. So yeah. we may or may not do reality again. We certainly have been approached multiple times. Um, I'll just ask to be a co-producer yeah. if I'm ever. As long as I'm part, I didn't. I don't need to be in charge, which is, believe it or not, I've been married for 20 years, so that's definitely the case. I don't need to be in charge, <laughs> but I need to be included, and that's yeah. what I found out about that. Yeah. When I was directed, I didn't enjoy it, but when I was, but to be included and being part of the process, that's what I'm about. And you know, Justin, we also landed our largest job in the history of our company because of that show. There was a, it was interpreted into seven different languages, broadcast in 50 countries, and we ended up landing a job in. Columbia, South America, believe it or not, Villa Vicencia, which is not an easy place to get to. It's 19 hours to get from door to door. And we ended up selling a $2.3 million uh, water feature for uh, a brand new shopping mall that was going down there. Wow. And the owner flew up to Chicago. He was a big Pond Stars fan and toured some of our actual projects that we had done for uh, the Shedd Aquarium, uh, the Lincoln Park Zoo. Uh, some of the planetariums that we've worked for so he ended up uh, hiring us and we ended up going down there and spending six months in Columbia, South America and literally the jungles of Columbia, South America carving out of uh, the jungles this new shopping mall and we both put this water feature in which to this day is the biggest project single project we've ever done. Wow, that's amazing. And that was on Nat Geo Wild, right? Yep, Pond Stars on Nat Geo Wild. You can get it on iTunes now or you yeah. can get Aquascape Pond Squad on YouTube. Yeah, we'll, we'll, put, we'll, Ponds. we'll put links on both of those in the show notes. This week, we are finally replacing Aqualand's old turtle rescue pond with a state-of-the-art critter pond. Where do you find your inspiration? Where do you go to recharge? Like, you know... Well, I do recharge. I was at the Queen concert last night. <laughs> uh, 
honestly, I get my inspiration um, on seeing other people succeed. So when I see opportunities for our team to go into new op- new areas or for people to move seats on the bus, that inspires me. When I get messages, like I did this morning from a customer that says, my family never used our yard, now ki- I can't keep the kids out of the pond in the yard, that's inspiring. So I recharge my batteries by talking to a customer and saying, you know, I thought about quitting and then I, I realize that you have the same issues that I do from one of your posts and this is why I post, this is why I blog, this is why I video, this is why I'm doing this podcast is maybe I could share a piece of advice that somebody else could apply and when their building collapses or whatever that would figuratively translate into their life where they don't, they just keep going. You learn way more from the valleys than you do from the mountaintops in life and if you give up when it's a valley, I don't know what you do. I've never given up because I just always want to persevere because I'm going to learn so much more when I get to the other side. I don't want to go through valleys, but I know inevitably when you go through them, you'll learn more than when you're, everything's going great and you're on a peak. Greg is a strong believer in real-world experience over classroom learning. He sees the rising cost of college to be a strong motivator to find alternative education methods. Well, I guess my passion around a non-traditional path for education comes from the fact that the traditional education path didn't really serve me in my career. And, and if it wasn't for some incredible God-given confidence and a great football coach and a little bit of athletic ability that allowed me to connect and relate to other people, um, I was definitely a poor student and I was given a, a right brain more than a left brain. I have a creative side more than I do an analytical or a mathematical side. And I had a math tutor from the time I was in fourth grade and society really told me you're stupid. No one ever told me because you're going to love turtles, you're going to build the world's largest organization and you're going to be able to basically take a hobby and make it a profession. Um, and I see so many kids today, almost every kid that I talk to believes that the, 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 the answer to success in life is to be intelligent in a traditional sense of what a college or a high school or an elementary school teaches, which is how to fill in the blanks and how to be a traditional student. I was a non-traditional student. I got the second highest grade in the seventh grade science fair. It was the first time I ever achieved anything outside of success in school besides gym class. And it was because I got to build something with my own two hands. And it was metallurgy and their everyday uses. And I got to go interview a, sh- uh, a foreman at Bethlehem Steel in Indiana. I thought it was the coolest job. It was straight out of Rudy, you know, molten, you know, <laughs> metal and stuff. And I, and I was like, wow, I'm actually good at something besides sports. And it was because I was passionate about it. Well, I'm passionate about turtles, I'm passionate about nature, I'm passionate about people and success. And when I talk to kids and I say, just because you get good, great. If you get good grades and you're a good student, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't, there is alternative perceptions and paths that you can take. And so I've got a kid here working for me right now that told me he was a two-year kid that worked in the summers pulling weeds and taking care of our aquariums and stuff. He said, my dream job is to work at Aquascape, so I'm gonna go away to Iowa State University and get an environmental science degree so I can learn how to be work here and be successful. I said, well, why don't you just keep doing what you're doing and I'll give you more responsibilities and I'll mentor you. And you could save $36,000 a year and that's kind of the key. College is so important for growing up and life experiences, but when you and I went to college, Ohio State was 7,600, my first year in 1988, Ohio State was $7,600 out of state tuition. Now it's 40,000. It's one thing to grow up when you're paying 10 grand a year, it's another thing to grow up when you're paying 50. And so the path that society says you need to be successful. Now, I'm a lifelong student. 
I am continuously and constantly learning and reading. But you know, but there's this thing called the internet that didn't exist in 1988 that you can learn from. There's people that you can meet that will mentor you and pour into you. But you need ambition, you need drive, you need to work with, know how to work with others, you need to persevere. Those are things that I learned in an athletic field, not in a classroom. To close out the interview, we asked Greg about the one relationship he thought was the most impactful to his journey in business. His response was really interesting. The reality is that I have to talk about the person who influenced my life more than any other, you know, outside of maybe my mom or my dad, but you know, in, in reality, probably more than any other because it was a third party. And that was my high school football coach. And he, uh, he lived a life of conviction. He uh, was a man that walked in his faith and I watched that and I observed that. Um, and he took a kid who was not a stellar student and subsequently was a class clown and kind of a goofball and, you know, junior high and, you know, kind of a little mischievous, nothing really bad. And he shaped me up and shipped me out. And he said, if you stick with me and follow my, my direction, he told us to all the kids, but I believe what he was saying. And he made us a champion. We were a state champion in, in football, which is the highest of highs. And uh, it was because people followed his, 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 his leadership. And then I watched the lowest of lows where guys who had the same opportunity to follow his leadership rejected it. And um, I watched that team that was ranked number one in the state my senior year go five and four and not even make the playoffs because we had a bunch of Me Too players. And that was one of the things that I learned about uh, um, you know, a winning culture. You know, we had a wonderful culture when the coach, when people were following what the coach was, coach was trying to do. And when the coach didn't, that culture changed. And, uh, uh, and, and we became known as the class of partiers where it was a bunch of Me Too people. So the most influential man in my world, the man that I respect the highest, was the man who showed me the walk that I now follow and ha believed more in me. And I followed him, which was kind of good on me. I actually listened to what he said. He said, jump, I would say jump, uh, I would say how high. Um, and he showed me what it was to be a winner. And to this day, most of what Aquascape does, I can trace back to the roots that I had in a very influential time in my life too, yeah. 14, 15, 16, 17, um, where we created the culture here that's, that's basically built off the culture that I, I saw represented on my high school football team. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having us out to your place. And uh, uh, you are absolutely always someone that um, I love to follow and listen to. And, and I know you always have an opinion on something, too. <laughs> Not always the right one. That's when I just listen to my wife. So thanks, Justin, for having me out. I appreciate it. Good luck. Big thanks to Greg Whitstock for his time and the crash course in the recreational water features business. If you want to learn more about Greg or Aquascape, visit aquascapeinc.com or check them out on Facebook. Greg is always working the Facebook Live. Design Of is brought to you by the studio of Rule 29. Our sponsor for this episode is O'Neill Printing, a Phoenix, Arizona-based commercial printer and one of Rule 29's closest partners. To learn more about O'Neill Printing's capabilities, including offset, digital, large format, mailing fulfillment, and more, visit o'neillprint.com. O'Neill Print, made to impress. A big thanks to Sleeping At Last for providing the soundtrack to design of. Sleeping At Last is in the middle of an incredible song series based on the Enneagram that's well worth a listen. Check it out at sleepingatlast.com. And finally, design of's audio engineer is Steve Wick. You know, Wills, Steve is like sitting on that park bench in a perfectly calm day and listening to that wonderful water feature that just makes you feel all zen-like. Ah, uh, yes. 
Good morning, Gil. I said good morning, Gil. We've got one more episode of Season 3, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to launching into 2018 with more stories about people and process. Along the way, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast. And if you're liking the podcast, we really would appreciate your rating on iTunes. It really helps. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.